0: Okay, now for the real deal. What you talking about, Willis? Today is Thursday, the 16th of July, 2020. Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Welcome to episode number 117 of the Barnhart Podcast. This is Mark Doherty sitting in for Super Nerd. With us again today is special guest, Dr. Edmund Matza, who has just released his latest essay, Robbing Peter to Play Paul, The Error or the Mirror of Pope Emeritus. Dr. Matza, welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me back. Hooray!
1: Hi, Dr. Matza. Thanks for being here. And boy, well done on uh, on this piece that... that we all kind of worked together, including Super Nerd, to get the the crazy formatting of the footnotes. That took I think formatting those footnotes took longer than it probably took you to write <laughs> the entire piece. But we got it up. And, it dropped this morning, and boy, just well done on this um, uh, rebuttal, and not at all in a hostile way. But you know the ki- the kind of back and forth that it seems to me should be going on. You know, as as people discuss this issue, and you know, a, a gentleman's a gentleman's discussion, a gentleman's dialogue back and forth. Your rebuttal to Professor mate, who we love, um, Professor Mate's piece that was in Rarate, published I believe on the first of July. Your piece is is just spectacular, and, and thanks for letting me publish it. And Mark, have you got it up at your place yet, or?
0: It's
2: up.
1: It's up, and it's up at Dr. Matza's. So it's a it's a tripost situation. And once again, well done, Dr. Matza, and thank you for being here.
2: Well, thank you guys for your help. And yeah, I just like to echo the sentiments you expressed. I have a great deal of respect for Professor Di Mattei and I kind of view this the way uh, you know Archbishop Vigano uh, sort of has a disagreement with the uh, arch with Bishop Schneider, uh, and you know they can have a scholarly back and forth about it uh, without you know. Uh, any any acrimony
1: yeah i mean and just listeners out there note note what is missing in this gentlemanly discussion that is that is happening as we speak what's missing is basically social media twitter all that kind of thing Professor Matza, Dr. Matza is not on Twitter. I don't believe Professor Di Mate is on Twitter. I am certainly not on Twitter. Mark, you are, but not much. And, and and just note the the difference in the quality, the tone, of of the discourse and the discussion. It, it is possible, still, folks, for for human beings to disagree on something, to uh, talk things out, to hash things out, and not instantly descend into slander, even calumny, um, the most horrific sorts of insults, it is possible and it it is in fact expected that Christian people comport themselves with class decorum and certainly with virtue and not engage in sin even as we disagree over things. So just, just kind of want to make that point out there, folks. Don't, don't get trapped into the, into the tunnel vision thinking that the, the Twitter and social media level of discourse that Western civilization has basically descended into is the only way it is and the only way it can be and the only way it ever was. In fact, this is an innovation of—it's a terrible innovation—the social justice— uh, or excuse me, the social media um, paradigm— and the way people behave on social media is a very very recent innovation just a few years old so hopefully we can uh, this will not only help advance the um the discussion on this issue but it will kind of jog people's memory and say oh yeah that's how people used to have disagreements with each other and and Argue things through.
0: Amen to that. It's not as if it even descends into nastiness. It's the it's it's really the starting right. point it's when we're right talking out of about the social chute. media. Yep, yeah. exactly. Okay, so do we want to start with a? It's it's not really possible to to summarize what's going on here. But I thought, Dr. Matza, maybe you could give us a little bit of an upfront, and then we'll try to prosecute through this as best
2: we can. Sure thing. Um, so uh, as Ann said, on July first, uh, Ro Rata Chile blog. Uh, did an English translation of Professor Mattei's uh, piece. And um, basically he makes the argument that there's a segment of conservative Catholics who want to substitute the old Pope Benedict for the new Pope Francis. And he says that, of course, this is to be expected given uh, what we've experienced the last seven years. Uh, but what he, he wants to argue that He says, let me just give you the man's words. He says that uh, the origin of the thesis goes back to a discourse by Monsignor Georg Gonswine of May 20th, 2016, at the Pontifical Gregorian University, uh, wherein he stated that Pope Benedict had not abandoned his office, but had given it a new collegial dimension, rendering it a quasi-shared ministry. Um, and, uh, I, my, my piece in, in many respects is an answer to that, to, to, to tell the good professor, uh, you're, you're, so you're sort of misleading the reader if you put it that way, because, uh, this didn't start with Ganswine. It started with Pope Benedict XVI. And I don't just mean the declaratio. I mean, um, pages and pages of, of, uh, Seewald's book, Peter Seawald, Books, I should say, in the plural, where Benedict uh, explains uh, what his intentions were when he resigned and what he means by Pope Emeritus. Um, And um, also in his uh, opening paragraph of his essay, Professor Di Mattei would like to uh, basically reduce the argument that Benedict is still Pope to the distinction between munis and ministerium in Pope Benedict's declaratio. And I think we're way beyond that now. Uh, And again, we have to go back to Pope Benedict's words, not simply in the declaratio, but all of his words to Seawald, all of his actions, and all of the research that's happened uh, in the last seven years.
0: So much of what follows here is going to be an exposition of both the 2017 a Seewald biography and q a as well as the recently released uh, i believe it was published in may but only in german is the latest Seawald volume uh, biography slash q a and understanding benedict's words the plain meaning of his words spoken or written as a reflection of what is in benedict's mind is what's to what is to keep at the forefront here and what you'll see in Dr. Motz's essay is logic and deductive reasoning and what we must not necessarily infer from what we read. Would you say that's a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, I think we need to uh, take Benedict at his words and, and try to understand what he's saying. Uh, and one of the things that prompted me to write this article, we can talk more about this later, is that people just tend to be dismissive of him and they don't want to, you know, examine the words. Um, so maybe we should jump right into it then. Um, so, uh, so again, Dimatei is accusing a, you know, certain segment of the pop, of the Catholic traditional population, of wanting to create an invisible or a mystic papacy. Those are the words that he uses. Um, but again, it go, it comes from Benedict himself. So let's start with the first seawalled interview. Which is from? It was published in 2017. It's called "Last Testament" in his own words, and and this is just this is basically a money quote here. Um, Seawold is, it, is asks, it the
0: title. The title itself is
2: quite astonishing, is it not? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> in his own words, <laughs> so Seawold just asks him very pointedly: Is a slowdown? in the ability to perform reason enough to climb down from the chair of peter now what is the what is the one word answer we would expect from benedict
0: yes that's what he told us right
2: <laughs> and it's,
0: it's exactly. interesting
1: i just pulled up matthew matthew chapter 5 verse 37 and it the thing that's so maddening when dealing frankly let, let's be honest with rat singer is that apparently Matthew 537 was edited out of all of the German Bibles, I think. And Matthew 537 (laughs) is, of course, our Lord at on on the um the sermon on the mount saying but let your speech be yes yes no no and that which is over and above these is of evil it it almost seems to me that especially these german theologians most especially german theologians of the 20th century are basically pathologically incapable of answering a direct, simple yes or no question <laughs> with a yes or a no, and it, it's it's maddening. And, and Mark, I'm I'm sure you share this frustration as you and I, you know, undertook this this horrible journey to Mordor, dr- reading this German theology. This uh, can you could you please just answer the question directly? And I think you know they think that it makes them smarter or um, because, because they're academics that they're expected to give a an 8,000-word answer to something that only requires a single word. Um, I, I, I suspect it's kind of that sort of intellectual pride. I don't know, speculating, but it just... As we sit here and we're trying to de- work our way through this, you just keep coming back to Matthew five thirty seven, and you say, "Okay, I really, I really, really understand now why our Lord said that, and why the Holy Ghost recorded that forever in in the Holy Gospels." You know, because we're we're just living the the fruits of what happens when you don't speak clearly and you aren't blunt and you aren't forthright and everything has to be this convoluted well yes wink sort of and then and then somebody asks you, well so what do you what do you mean? And then act all all shocked that, well I've been perfectly clear. Well no no you haven't been perfectly clear. And Ganswine does the same thing too, but well Let's continue off my, off my Matthew we, 537 <clears throat> soapbox.
0: We should also point out before we read out the answer that Benedict gave that there aren't any surprise questions here. Benedict either wrote the questions himself or certainly pre-approved them. So the, the answer that you're going to hear was, was crafted in the same
2: manner that the question was crafted. And, you know, I, I don't want to keep the audience in suspense. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I, 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 have, I have to share this. With the, so, you know, back in June, uh, Father Zed uh, was kind enough to talk about the Maza hypothesis and about, you know, our, our podcasts. And uh, he relates a story involving himself and Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger. And I, I just have to read it because it's so appropriate. Uh, he says, we struck up a conversation about some goofy German theologian. Uh, and with a mischievous grin, uh, Ratzinger said that he was relieved that peter stopped in rome and didn't go to germany to establish a church imagine he said the mistakes that could have been made and the efficiency with which we could have made them
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's funny because it's true (laughs) it's
2: funny because it's funny yeah yeah (laughs) so anyway so let's so uh, let me repeat the question yes so um This is from 2017, Last Testament, in his own words. Seawold asks, the Holy Father, is a slowdown in the ability to perform reason enough to climb down from the chair of Peter? And Benedict replies, one can, of course, make that accusation, but it would be a functional misunderstanding. The follower of Peter is not merely bound to a function the office enters into your very being.
1: Mm, being, being. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's almost as if an office is something that you are. Yes. Oh, continue. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: In this regard, fulfilling a function is not the only criterion. Um, and so, the, again, how do we make sense of what Benedict is saying here? What accusation... What misunderstanding, again, a simple yes would do, but then, you know, he doesn't give a yes or no answer to the straightforward question. And again, it's, it's bizarre because he has to give a yes answer because that's the very reason he gave in his official declaratio for stepping down. I'll, I'll read from the declaratio from February 11th, 2013. Uh, he says, I have come to the certainty That my strengths, due to an advanced age, are no longer suited to an adequate exercise of the Petrine office. Strength has deteriorated in me to the extent that I have had to recognize my incapacity to adequately fulfill the ministry entrusted to me. For this reason, I declare that I renounce the ministry of Bishop of Rome, successor of St. Peter, etc., etc. Um, so, uh, Seawold actually gives him a follow-up question to try to get to the bottom of this. Okay. But what I want, b- before we get to that, I just want to make the distinction that he's making here. He's saying that a physical slowdown only affects the functions or the ministry of a Pope his you know, day-to-day tasks. But what he, but basically what he's arguing is that being Pope is not fundamentally about doing this or that it's about being his answer, it's ontological, right? That's the definition of ontological. It's about being itself, okay? He says, the office enters into your very being, not the function or the ministry, but the office. So uh, Seawold follows this up and, and and says, you know, some people think that because you resigned, the office of the papacy has been secularized. And Benedict, again, answers in a very long-winded <clears throat> fashion, Um, but he gives the example of, of a bishop who wants to resign and how it's like a father and you can't stop being a father. Benedict says stopping is a functionalization and a secularization, something from the sort of concept of public office that shouldn't apply to a bishop. And Benedict says, well, to that, I must reply. Even a father's role stops. Of course, a father does not stop being a father. And I think we should underline the word being, right? But he is relieved of concrete responsibility. He remains a father in a deep inward sense in a particular relationship which has responsibility but not with day-to-day tasks as such. If he steps down, He remains in an inner sense within the responsibility he took on, but not in the function. And then ultimately he concludes, one comes to understand that the office of the Pope has lost none of its greatness. Now, I don't know if you guys want to comment on that or if you want me to continue here.
0: Well, it's, it's quite remarkable. Is it not? I mean, he's, he's really laying it out and it goes back to the idea of, Uh, delegating the governance.
1: Yeah, the things that you do. I mean, this is, I have, I believe there's an entire module in my first video on this exact question, talking about, okay, the difference between being and doing. The difference between Munus and Ministerium is the difference between being something and doing something. When Nixon resigned, he didn't say, I resign from... Commanding the military. Nixon didn't say, I resign from um, um, enforcing the laws. He said, "I, I resign the office of the presidency. I resign being the president. The Queen of England is the queen, but she presides over parliament. Be, being the queen is what she is. Presiding is one of the things that she does. Um, but the, all of the doing things, all of those ministerial doing words that that, that relate to any office, those are optional, contingent activities. So, you know, if if Queen Elizabeth, who's now 94 years old, if if God forbid she should for example have a stroke or something and go into and go into a catatonic state, she's still the Queen of England. She's still the Queen of England, but she can't do all of those things. It's the same thing with Reagan when he was shot, it's the same thing with the Pope, and we've talked about this before. Um, How many popes do you think have been incapacitated, like completely out of it, for some period of time before they died? Not everybody drops dead. Most people, in fact, are sick and incapacitated for at least some stretch of time before they die. Just because the pope can't do things doesn't mean that he loses the ontological uh, reality of being the pope, and Mark, your point about that is um, Peter, when he was in prison, um, when Peter was in prison, he couldn't do any popy things. He couldn't he couldn't um, administer the church, et cetera, et cetera, because he was in prison. Um, so, did he stop being the pope if a pope is captured and is imprisoned? Does our Lord? snap his fingers and snap his uh, proverbial fingers and withdraw the office of the papacy from a man just because he's captured and imprisoned by the Freemasons? Well, of course not. That's madness because then you would never have any idea who was the Pope, who wasn't the Pope. Again, going back to the idea that God is a very, very, very able human resources manager, everything is very clear and and you can tell who the pope is mostly by the fact that a he's alive and b and this is a deep sub sub b is that he hasn't validly resigned the office (laughs) and so you can tell you know who the pope is because god is a good human resources manager
0: amen i always like to draw the comparison that you know Nixon and Benedict both got into helicopters, but only one of them really left.
1: That's right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Nick Nixon didn't Nixon didn't go to camp David hang out for a week and then come and move back into the white house. And that, that is a, that is a direct analogy to what Pope Benedict did.
2: Yep. And so, you know, it, it leaves us scratching our heads. What, what to make of this. Right. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's almost uh, six weeks now since uh, I went on the Dr. Taylor Marshall show and gave the world sort of a, the Maza hypothesis, which was um, looking at the office of the papacy, there's the aspect of the Bishop of Rome, and then there's the aspect of the primacy or the Vicar of Christ. And, you know, after doing some reading, the thought had occurred to me, well, perhaps what Benedict did is that he separated being vicar of Christ from being Bishop of Rome. And perhaps that would explain these strange answers that he gives to Seawall. And, and um, and actually to to get back to the last point that we just made when uh, talking about the, uh, the fact that he remains within the inner responsibility, right? And what is that supposed to mean? Well, if you go back to a speech that uh, Ratzinger made in October of 1977, which you guys talked about on your blog posts a number of times. Uh, it's in the uh, German book Deinst and under Hein Einheit. Um, and I, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read a couple of sentences here. He Ratzinger is talking about the, the nature of the Petrine ministry, and he he in in, in the sentence I'm going to read, he talks about what it means to be vicar. He says. This attachment to the word and will of God because of the Lord is what makes the sedes, and that means chair in Latin, it makes it a cross and thus proves the vicar to be a representative. He abides in obedience and thus in personal responsibility for Christ. Uh, professing the Lord's death and resurrection is his whole commission and personal Responsibility. This personal liability forms the heart of the doctrine of papal primacy. So when Benedict uses the word responsibility or personal responsibility, he's talking about the vicar of Christ. He's talking about the primacy. Uh, so here we are, you know, 40 years later, and he's telling Seawold, I still live within the inner responsibility. Basically, he's telling us I'm still vicar. Mm-hmm. I still have I still have the primacy. You see what yep. I mean? Yep. yep. Exactly. Um. So, um. Anyway, to to so to get back to trying to understand, uh, Mark, did you want to say something? Say something.
0: All I wanted to say was we're we're about to get into some uh, completely new territory here with the brand new book from Seawald. and it is not available in English. It's only in German. But, uh, Professor, you. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where you obtained the translation from, but we, the, the listeners are about to hear some things that they haven't heard before, either in writing or in any of the podcasts. So listen up.
2: <laughs> okay. So now we turn, as you say, to the 2020 interview with C well, at least it was published in 2020, May of 2020. It's, um, it, it's, it's the last or it's the penultimate chapter of a very large biography by Seewald of Benedict in German which is gonna come out in English in November. And again, he tries to basically, Pope Benedict doubles down on this notion that he's still Petrine. And he explains what he means by Pope Emeritus. He says, this word emerito meant that he was no longer an active bishop, but was in the special relationship of a former bishop to his seat. Uh, The need was taken to define his office in relation to a real diocese without making him a second bishop of his diocese. Um, let me interrupt myself here, or interrupt Benedict to point something out. So the bishop that retires or resigns, he's no longer in charge of the active governance of the sea that he used to actively govern, All right? That's the first point. The second point is that according to Benedict, the need was taken to define his office in relation to a real diocese without making him a second bishop of his diocese. My reading of that is that Benedict sees emeritus, bishop emeritus, or in his case, Pope emeritus, as an office. Now, that's a disputed point, but we have it right there in this English translation. I haven't had a chance to unpack the German but that's, so that's going to be the my, my operating principle here, is that he does see this as an office. Uh, let me continue with what he says. He says, the word emerito indicated that he had given up his office in full, but the spiritual connection to his previous seat was now also recognized as a legal quality. And he goes on to say, it does not create any participation in the concrete legal content of the Episcopate, but at the same time sees the spiritual bond as a reality. And he concludes by saying, so there are not two bishops, but there is a spiritual mandate, the essence of which is to serve from the inside, from the Lord in praying with and for his previous bishopric. So basically he's echoing the sentiments that he expressed in the, in the book that was published in 2017 by Seewald. And then Seewald basically puts it to him directly, but does this apply to the Pope, All right? Fine and dandy ever since Vatican II, bishops can resign. And so for example, there's uh, Bishop emeritus, uh, Renee Grasidia, right? In uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, a great, great Bishop. He's the Bishop emeritus. He's no longer the active, governor of that diocese. but do, So Seewald says, does this apply to the Pope? And this is the answer that he gives, which is very telling. Benedict says, it is not clear why this legal figure should not be applied to the Bishop of Rome either. Now, Seewald said, but does this apply to the Pope? And Benedict says, I don't see why it doesn't apply to the Bishop of Rome. So, in, in his mind, Pope, the word Pope, means bishop of rome papa okay um there's a footnote in my essay which gives uh some background on the use of the word papa or pope
1: it means father Um, and it can be and mm -hmm. that was and we pointed that out i think dr matza in the first podcast you did with us Mm -hmm. um father z is the one who who kind of explained in his piece that well you know wait wait just a second kids this word pope papa is more nuanced than all of us sitting here in the early 21st century give it credit for being and historically it has been used it has been applied to bishops and um even still today like for example the head of the um the coptic orthodox church the the christians in egypt they call their guy the pope now obviously yeah. he 's he 's not the vicar of Christ, obviously um and i i don 't think the the cops make any claim that he 's the vicar of Christ, but they call him Pope Tadaros or whatever whatever his name is. They call him Pope, and he is known publicly you know as Pope Tadaros or whatever his name is so there 's more there 's more flexibility with that word than any of us sitting here in you know, Western the Western, or even the Anglosphere in the early 20th century give that word credit for.
2: Exactly, exactly. Um, and basically, he, <clears throat> excuse me, he tells Seawold, um, so we want to avoid any thought of a coexistence of two popes. A bishopric can, ha- can only have one owner. So again, he's equating the English word pope or whatever the German equivalent is, with the word bishop, okay? Uh, We want to avoid any thought of a coexistence of two popes. A bishopric can only have one owner. At the same time, a spiritual connection is expressed that cannot be removed under any circumstances.
1: Wow, that's that's pretty (laughs) definitive, isn't it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty categorical. Yeah. So I write to you again. I was just going to
0: say you skipped over the, the one. I mean, certainly that's huge, folks. Uh, cannot be removed under any circumstances. Wow. I mean, we're, we're, we're marching towards substantial error right now. But the, the uh, sentence before that, uh, Benedict states, in this formula, talking about the emeritus, in this formula, both are given no specific legal power of attorney anymore, but a spiritual assignment that remains – albeit invisible.
2: That's interesting too. Uh, especially for Dr. Matei's benefit. <laughs> yes, I- indeed. Um, and actually, furthermore, again, t- t- so Dr. Mattei had brought up the Ganswine speech at the Greg, and it's the exact same wording. Listen to this, listen to this from Ganswine. He has not abandoned the office of Peter Something which would have been entirely impossible for him, after his irrevocable acceptance of the office in April two thousand and five, by an act of extraordinary courage, he has instead renewed this office. <laughs> so and, this is and, not wine on and, an and LSD trip here. This is this is that, Pope Benedict's exactly words. That's exactly
1: right. You know, there's a lot of people in Trad Inc who are trying to argue that. This is all a fabrication of Ganswine. That Ganswine just made all this crap up and went to the Greg and delivered this speech and that this is all a pure fabrication of Ganswine. That is categorically false. And this is what you just cited, Dr. Matza, is just one of many many proof sets that clearly demonstrates this. That that goes back and and um Underpins what I was told by my contacts in Rome who are in the Ratzingerian academic circle and have been going to see him within the last seven years. I mean, more they were going more frequently earlier in this seven-year 7, seven year window of hell that we've been going through with Bergoglio, but the academic circle in Rome who were close to Ratzinger continued to go and visit him. One of those people told me that the speech was completely reviewed by Pope Benedict. He read the whole thing, handed it back to Ganswine, and said, complimenti. And they do speak to each other in Italian, believe it or not. Um, complimenti, compliments, as in, I've read this, I approve of what it says, yes, go to the Greg and deliver this thing. And it's it's Ganswine clearly just echoing the, the words... The highly documented words and using very specific keywords and phrases that Ratzinger has used over his entire his entire um, academic career. So the notion that Ganswein made this up. Sorry, no way, absolutely not.
0: It, it also and then Ganswine's words echo back to the last general audience of twenty seven February twenty thirteen mm-hmm. and uh, Benedict talking about that it's irrevocable and that it's always and forever. And also in that last general audience, he talked about what he had done was, let me just, I'm going to read it out to you that it, that it was something completely different, that it was novel. I have taken this step. I have taken this step with full awareness of its gravity and even its novelty.
1: It's novelty. Yep.
0: Well, if this is something completely new, then it must
2: not be like the other popes who have plainly resigned.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Or or, or actually the the expression should be who entirely resigned because um, in the uh, latest interview with Seewald, which again is only available in German, but uh, we've done a little translating here. um, uh, Seewald asks Benedict, your visit to the grave of Pope Celestine V in 2009, the only Pope who resigned before you, and I kind of put in brackets, the only Pope who voluntarily resigned, because there was the the Pope who uh, resigned at the Council of Constance. Uh, But what was behind it, he um, he asks Benedict. And Benedict says, the visit to the tomb of Pope Celestine V was more of a coincidence, but... I was well aware that the situation of Celestine was unique and could not serve as a model, you know, for me in any way.
1: Okay, nuclear explosion. What <laughs> you know? Record scratch. What Scooby-Doo noises? Oh, shaggy. You know. I mean,
2: <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? What
1: you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Maybe that's our cold open right there.
0: <laughs> we throw our heads back and laugh. Uh,
1: yes. Uh, okay. If it wasn't like Celestine the and you can't use that as any sort of a model or analog, what in the hell was it? And <laughs> and how is it wrong for us to be sitting here asking this question? Nah! Okay
2: oh man no, no we got that out of our system um so benedict then right repeatedly claims benedict repeatedly claims that he is not merely an ex-pope but insists that as pope emeritus he has a real ontological spiritual connection to the episcopacy of the See of rome that cannot be removed okay so Thus, despite the fact that Rome elected a new bishop named Francis in March 2013, this has not stopped Benedict, Mattei notes, from imparting apostolic blessings you know, in his own name yeah. to the faithful. My right?
1: apostolic blessing. My personal possessive pronoun. Ah.
2: Uh, so what are the, what like, like we just said, what in the heck are the faithful supposed to make of this situation, right? So my own examination of the data set led me to the rather daring hypothesis that perhaps Benedict used his plenitudine potestas to separate the role of vicar of Christ from the Bishop of Rome. Now, um, again, we've spoken about this in a previous podcast, and I've talked about this on the Taylor Marshall show. So if if folks want to get more background on that, um, they can go back and listen to those podcasts or watch the videos. Um, so, um, but I think you can go into like it
0: a, a little bit, professor, we've making pretty good time here. So okay. maybe, maybe just, just take the, the, the listenership through those next couple paragraphs of which sure. really sort of restates your basic thesis.
2: Okay, here we go. So, um, in point of fact, consistent with his explanations to Seawold, Benedict in his official declaratio of February 11th, 2013 explicitly renounces only, quote, the ministry of Bishop of Rome, unquote, and not the munis of Vicar of Christ. Uh, and we should note well that never once in the entire corpus of canon law does the word ministerium substitute for the word munis. Now this is puzzling since canon law specifically directs a pontiff to renounce his munus. Right. Canon 332, paragraph 2 says, if it happens that the Roman pontiff renounces his office, and of course the definitive code is not in English, the definitive authoritative code is in Latin, so the word is munis. If, the, if it happens that the Roman pontiff renounces his munis, it is required for validity that the renunciation is made freely and be properly manifested, but not that it be accepted by anyone at all. So um, at first the the Maza hypothesis seemed to some to be too outlandish or even downright heretical, but a cursory examination of the texts, excuse me, not so much the decrees of the first Vatican council, but the texts surrounding those decrees, okay? Uh, And for those who don't know, the first Vatican council was from 1869 to 1870. Uh, so, if you examine those texts, and if you examine multiple manuals of dogmatic theology, in, in my article, I have a footnote which gives three prominent, solid, orthodox you know, manuals of theology published just before Vatican II. And it, basically, it confirms, they confirm without question, that the faithful may indeed hold the position that the primacy of Peter, that is, his vicarship of Christ, can be separated from the Sea of Rome. However, this could only be done by a reigning Pope and never for light and transient reasons. There'd have to be a, a very serious reason for that to happen.
1: Yeah, so a Pope couldn't say, I hate the hot, humid weather of Rome, so I'm going to move I'm gonna move the sea to Germany or Paris or something like that. And Friends, if if this isn't um, the opposite of a light transient situation that we're experiencing now, as we are clearly in the days of Fatima, as the Vatican has obviously, no one, no one can deny this, has obviously been overrun with heretics, apostates, sodomites, Marxists. And Freemasons, did I leave anything out? And some of, or, and some of them are Satanists too. Um, this is the clearly the most dire situation, the most dire straits that the church has ever been in in two thousand years. This is not light and transient reasons. If in fact this is what Pope Benedict did, if he looked around and just said, "Oh my gosh." Oh my gosh! And there's there is evidence that that is in fact the case, and then that kind of feeds into coercion. But we're getting there.
2: Yeah, I mean, to, for people to understand this, I'll just briefly give an analogy. I mean, look at President Trump and the deep state, right? It, it's obvious that that there was this coup to get rid of Trump, and and look at Flynn, right? Um, like, in other words, people could say, how come? if Benedict did all this, why didn't he just come out and say it? Well, why did Flynn cop to a felony when he didn't do it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh,
2: He did it because they, they threatened his son. Right. Uh, So perhaps they threatened his brother, Georg. And we can only hope that now that Georg went to his eternal reward, (laughs) you know, perhaps he Benedict might be able to say or do something that he was unable to do before, but still he's a 93 year old man. He's basically at the mercy of of his, you know, of his, of his successor. Again, in the speech at the Greg uh, Ganswine brought up the fact that the last time, it, you know, somebody uh, voluntarily, uh, quote unquote, resigned the papacy, uh, he became a prisoner of his predecessor. Yeah. Uh, Celest- Celestine V was hunted down and captured and put into a cell, you know, built for a hobbit. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, he also said Gantzwein did that. That what what Benedict accomplished here was at some in some way analogous to the Immaculate Conception.
1: <laughs> the opposite exactly. of light and transience. <laughs> and let's let's also throw in a quick shout out to um, Blessed Emperor Charles, who remember under intense coercion by the Freemasons. Period. Full stop. By the Freemasons, um, resigned the active governance of of um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but did not. And he and Blessed Charles said this to his dying day: "I am not abdicating. I'm just giving up um, the public." the the public governance aspect of this, and he did it to appease the Freemasons who had him under tremendous, tremendous coercion. So, you know, Blessed Charles, Blessed Emperor Charles, and um, Servant of God Zita, his wife, they are, they need to be continuously enjoined in this, because Blessed Charles was kind of the forerunner of this, and he's, he's given this um this example in the sense that we can look and say okay what is this that's going on where someone can can say i'm going to give up the the governance but i'm going to keep the office i'm not going to abdicate blessed charles is the is essentially the forerunner in this exact paradigm it seems to me
0: amen uh, one other parallel i wanted to make in terms of the you brought up Trump in the deep state, the parallel between what's happened in the church, I would say is that we never would have had a clue as to exactly the deepness of the deep state had Trump not won. We never would have had a clue the depth of the filth in the church had Benedict not done what he, had, what he did.
1: God, the divine providence always works to the good. Ultimately no matter how horrific things appear in real time, um, the divine providence is perfect. And so, yeah, amen, Mark. China, all of this financial corruption, everything, it's all, the chickens are all coming home to roost, and more and more people are waking up to it. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm seeing an uptick in people landing in my email box saying, how do I get into the Catholic Church? How do I convert? Um, just answered a beautiful email from a guy the other day who said, "You know what I'm not willing to wait anymore. All the churches are closed under lockdown how How can I get baptized can Can just a layperson do this and send off instructions Here's how you do it so mm-hmm. i mean it's it's very it, to to the secular world it's completely counterintuitive. Who in their right mind would want to convert to Catholicism." as all of this, this poison and toxicity is bubbling and exposed at the surface. Oh, oh, lots of people actually, because it is in and of itself informative. Yeah.
0: Just as you're saying that I'm writing down for the show notes, baptism instruction, because that really should get out into the, into the public eye in case of emergencies. And, you know, I mean, the entire Church is basically shut down right now in most places. A few of us are, are lucky enough that that we haven't been greatly displaced, but in some dioceses it is closed. They are closed right now. So yes, lay people can baptize, and we'll put that in the show notes. Well, that was a wild departure, Professor. Can can you get us
2: back on track? <laughs> okay. So uh, so again, if you read these manuals from before the Second Vatican Council. Uh, they quote the First Vatican Council or the text of the First Vatican Council, stating that um, uh, although it's a, a minority position uh, among the theologians of the last 500 years, um, it is still an acceptable position. It's not heretical uh, to argue that uh, under crazy circumstances, very serious circumstances, uh, the Pope, because he has the fullness of power, could uh, separate the primacy or the vicarship of Christ from the Sea of Rome. But since it is a minority position, I decided to play devil's advocate and I, I came to quite the discovery, I think. And so I, I basically came up with two scenarios. And the first scenario is the scenario of error. Okay. And let me just kind of go through this and you, you guys stop me when you think it's appropriate. Um all right, first scenario. The vicarship of Christ is indissoluble from the episcopacy of Rome, right? That's the majority view. Let's, let's run with that. Let us say that this is the case, and let's also propose for the sake of argument that in March 2013, Pope Francis became vicar of Christ and bishop of Rome, but his holiness, Pope Benedict XVI, insists that he still has a spiritual connection that cannot be removed under any circumstances from the See of Rome. Indeed, it is the sole reason he continues to wear papal white, issue apostolic blessings, and reside in the Vatican. But here's the rub. If the vicarship of Christ is indissoluble from the episcopacy of Rome, and Benedict claims his connection is indissoluble from the episcopacy of Rome, then either he is the vicar of Christ or he is vicar emeritus of Christ. And if you've never heard that term before, it's because I made it up. (laughs) 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 But (laughs) I made it up using logic, All right? So let's follow the the logic of this. And if if you guys think I'm out in left field with a hockey stick, please let me know. Or if anybody who hears this podcast thinks that my logic is flawed, I would love to hear the explanation. All right. So Benedict insists he's no longer pope in the sense of bishop of Rome. He's been very clear on that point in his declaratio and in his interviews with Seawall. All right. He's no longer Bishop of Rome. Francis is. Fine. Benedict then is Bishop Emeritus or Pope Emeritus. But this does not mean that he has left the enclosure of St. Peter. No. A real metaphysical spiritual connection exists between him and his quote unquote former diocese. Right. Well, if that's true, (laughs) Benedict must possess, must possess not only a real metaphysical spiritual connection with the episcopacy of the See of Rome, but with the vicarship of Christ. Because we're laboring under the assumption, right, that, that the vicarship is inseparable from the See of Rome. <clears throat> so this means that Benedict cannot be Pope Emeritus of the Diocese of Rome without simultaneously being vicar emeritus of Christ. So that's where I'm coming from here. Vicar emeritus of Christ, what on, what on earth is that supposed to be? What would that look like, right? Um, so, you know, again, when, when our Lord commissioned Peter and called him Rock and gave him the keys of the kingdom, he made him his vicar, he gave him the primacy. Although the location of where he did his vicaring changed, right? Um, uh, it's always one man who has that responsibility as Benedict Sixteenth himself has said, both as Cardinal Ratzinger in 1977 in that speech or in his interviews with Seawold, He talks about one man having that responsibility, that personal responsibility, that ontological responsibility. Um, so what then of Vicar Emeritus, what would that look like hypothetically? A vicar emeritus of Christ would have to be a man who, though not the current vicar of Christ, still had a real metaphysical, spiritual participation in Peter's vicaring or pastoring over the universal church. But there's a definite problem with that. Mm-hmm. You guys want me, to go, want me to go forward with that? Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So here's the, again, let's, let's cold logic. Let logic dictate where we go here. Um this would mean that the current vicar of Christ would not have total power over the church, and this would be a substantial theological error indeed. Mm-hmm. And here I quote uh, a Monsignor G. Van Noort, uh, and I, in the article, I, I give a footnote where I explain his, his dogmatic manual is from the 1950s, he says the following. For if the plenitude of sacred power were to reside, and I put in brackets in, in more than one, I'm, I'm basically, I'm, para- I'm, I'm cutting down all the verbiage here. So I'll just read it the way I wrote it. For if the plenitude of sacred power were to reside in more than one, in such a fashion that the current Pope had more power than the other, he would still possess only the largest share of, of that power, but he would not strictly possess the total power without any restriction. In that hypothesis, Van Noort writes, the power of the Roman pontiff could still be called supreme, but it would not be absolutely complete in itself. It is true that in the aforesaid hypothesis, no individual would have power equal to the Pope but the power of the pontiff would not be absolutely complete in itself.
1: And how, how, and where have we seen this concept in in action in within the last seven years? In fact, just within the last year. The one that leaps to mind is the book that Pope Benedict wrote with Cardinal Sarah, which basically was trying to cut. Bergoglio off at the pass with regards to um, priestly celibacy, and Pope Benedict also wrote a letter. It's been a couple, three years ago now. Which you know, for the for the few dozen people that actually pay attention, read these things, and are willing to speak about it, the letter that Pope Benedict wrote is is acknowledged to be a kind of backdoor answer to the dubia
2: i'm sorry to interrupt Anne, but there's a there's an article at the catholic thing from may 11th 2019 in which the author elizabeth mitchell says the dubia were answered yep (laughs) and she's basically arguing what you're arguing she's talking about what his, his letter about the uh the church and the scandal of sexual abuse. Yes. But basically she's arguing that he is in a sense still the vicar of Christ. And she doesn't use those words, but he's still acting in that way by confirming the brethren. Something that, that, that Francis is is doing the opposite.
1: Exactly. And it, it speaks, it speaks directly to your point that you're making right now, Dr. Matza about possessing Peter possesses the full, the full potency of the office. Clearly clearly it cannot be argued that um you know obviously making the rhetorical uh point that if bergoglio were the pope that he possesses 100% of it because here's pope benedict doing these things and asserting directly asserting the the power of of peter it when he does these things so you can you can see why bergoglio and and Lucifer ultimately is very, very, very unhappy with um with Pope Benedict basically saying these things or doing these things or saying and doing anything. And you've got people on the internet saying Pope Benedict needs to shut up, he needs to stop talking, I wish he'd go away. Some of them even say I wish he'd I wish he'd just die. Um Uh, that's really telling. It's really telling that you've got the man who is in fact confirming the brethren being, trying to be shouted down, discredited. Um, Why, why is he doing this? Why doesn't he just shut up and go away? Yeah, because he's the vicar of Christ. That's why it's his job. Continue.
2: (laughs) So, I don't know if you guys want me to talk about uh, the Jansenist thing I found. Oh yes! Oh
1: yes, yes! Yes! Yes!
2: Yes! Yeah, I just
0: I just want to make sure that we we stay uh, within the in, within the framework, or maybe reframe up where exactly we are in this in this first scenario that's being described. We're laboring under the base premise that the vicarship of Christ is indissoluble from the episcopi, episcopacy of Rome. We're taking that base premise and applying the words and writing of benedict on the subject of what he did and what he currently is and following ice cold logic this we're not in the realm of opinion right now we're taking those things i just described and applying ice cold logic and seeing where it leads us and where we are right now is that the vicarship can't be shared because that would mean if the vicar the vicarship can't be shared because only one man can be vicar, and if somebody's still sharing in it, then he doesn't have full power.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's a and it's a heresy to say that Peter doesn't have full power. Peter has full power. It's not. Oh, I, should I should I say it, or are we saving it for the big, the big punchline later? Do we mention Paul yet, or do we save that? We save that. We say that. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So professor, go ahead, go ahead. And, and we're going to get
2: into that right now. Okay. So again, like you guys just said, it's, it's like the analogy of the pie, right? Uh, whoever is the vicar of Christ has the whole pie. Okay. And if, and if Benedict as not only Bishop emeritus of Rome, but as vicar emeritus, because the two are linked indissolubly, uh, Vicar emeritus means he'd have to have some part of that pie that was his, but that would be taking one, that'd be taking, you know, 0.1% away from whoever the current vicar is and that you can't have that. All right. So anyway, um, so I did a little research on this. Uh, I, I, I found a reference in father Livius's book, which I mentioned in the previous podcast and I followed it up with some more research. And what I found is that to deny that the primacy of the vicar of Christ is restricted to one man is actually a proposition that's been historically condemned. So this is not just an abstract exercise here. Um, in 1645, during the height of the uh, Jansen, Jansenist uh, errors, uh, an anonymous pamphlet on the authority of Saints Peter and Paul was uh, published, along with a couple of other pamphlets, which began to circulate widely, uh, claiming that St. Paul shared the primacy with St. Peter. Uh, I mean, that's really, if you think about it, that's the only other equivalent that somebody could maybe bring up to the current situation of having two popes, so to speak, quote unquote, in, in Rome at the same time. Um, but as we learn, this is actually a, a it's actually a heresy, to be honest, but the, the, it got to the point, and this is a quote from a, a book that I, an old book that I found from the 19th century. It got to the point that, Pope Innocent X, by a decree of the Holy Inquisition in 1647, proscribed both the three aforementioned pamphlets and also the proposition that Peter and Paul are the two heads of the church who form a singular thing. In the meaning understood that they posit every sort of equality between Peter and Paul without the subordination of and subjugation of Paul to Peter in the supreme power and governance of the universal Church and if you go to Denzinger you can actually look this up um, you know Denzinger is that big tome that Catholic the Catholic Church has with all of the dogmatic statements catalogued in there and if you if you go to that you will find uh, its number I think it's 1999. And it says, like, basically, it's three sentences in Latin or four sentences in Latin from the twenty fourth of January, sixteen forty seven, under the papacy of Innocent the tenth, where that proposition that you could share the papacy is actually uh, condemned as an error.
0: So that kind of leads us to the punchline here, which is, you know, comparing that to Ganswein's description of what. Benedict had done in terms of turning it the collegial dimension, rendering it a quasi shared ministry, is clearly error and has been condemned formally as error. So, where does that lead
2: us?
1: Canon 188.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So again, just, just so people know, all right, so Catholics, right, must hold that St. Paul either acted as an auxiliary Bishop of Rome. Or by means of his own unique, right, apostolic authority, he operated in Rome, but only with permission to operate there from Rome's only bishop and Christ's only vicar, Saint Peter. Um and you know, to say, as we just said, to say as Gan, to, to repeat Ganswine and say, Well, Peter's office had a collegial dimension, rendering it a quasi shared ministry, that's just total error, serious error that's been condemned, right? All right. So where does this lead us? If the primacy or the vicarship of Christ cannot be shared by two, then there can be no vicar emeritus of Christ. Am I wrong? No, no. <laughs> no, no. All right. So if there can be no vicar emeritus of Christ, there can be no pope or bishop emeritus of Rome, because again, vicar of Christ is inseparable under scenario number one from. The Pope or Bishop of Rome. So under scenario number one, Pope Benedict's resignation was made out of quote-unquote substantial error, Uh, even if the declaratio appears, you know, valid enough on its face. Benedict, as the saying goes, thought he could have his cake and eat it too, right? He thought he could give up the active governance of the Roman church and yet remain within a spiritual mandate It is uniquely Peter's. So according to canon law, Benedict's resignation is therefore rendered ipso facto invalid. And as you said, canon 188 states quite clearly, quote, a resignation made out of grave fear that is inflicted unjustly or out of malice, substantial error or simony is invalid by the law itself. So now what would be the effect of him uh, having substantial error and him having invalidated his own renunciation and therefore it would mean he's, st- he's still a vicar of Christ. He remains the only vicar of Christ and the only Pope or Bishop of Rome. I, I-, I don't see how we can get around that.
1: Yeah, we now, can't.
2: <laughs> now, now I, there are some people who, uh, who make the argument, well, as long as the wording of his declaratio was worded correctly, then he's not still Pope. Uh, And in my article, I say I would reply as a, an expert in Canon law confided to me, quote, error must be in the mind, not in the words either written or spoken, because if it were just in the words, it would affect the declaration of his will, and not his will itself." One quote.
0: Right, and so what's been demonstrated here is the the thought of Benedict is cl- clearly demonstrable by what he says and what he writes and whether it's in official documents or speeches or it's in these interviews and whatnot. We've laid out exactly what he thinks by using his own words. That's what's in his mind. So then we have to take that as sort of supporting evidence to the, to then go and look at this specific situation at hand. And if we're laboring under the assumption, the base premise that the vigorship is indissoluble from the episcopacy of Rome, then this is where the logic leads us.
2: Exactly. Right. So th- there's no room for doubt that Benedict intended to remain papal on some ontological plane, regardless of whether this is really metaphysically possible or not.
1: And can I just, can I just jump in for a second and say, speaking as an unlettered lay nothing, um, how good God is in terms of keeping these things visible. I mean, Dr. Matza, you, you have taken this to the next level and it's, it's, your Your argumentation is is nuanced and and informed and absolutely fantastic, but even unlettered lay nothings like Mark and myself and anybody else in the world and now i mean within the last week we've got we've got completely secular people like the no agenda podcast and and you know a Dutch agnostic like Adam Curry is turning around and looking at this situation saying something's not right here. So unlettered lay nothings like Mark and myself were able to look at this situation and come to exactly the same conclusion that Dr. Matzik came to. It's just that Dr. Motsik, he his conclusion is completely fleshed out and he has this, this fabulous, you know, argumentation to put to put meat on the bones. Mark and I and everyone else could tell something was up and come to the same conclusion as Doctor Matza just by looking at the clothes that Pope Benedict is wearing. I mean, literally, literally. So that's how good the divine providence is, and and what it's what it means when when people say that that these things are visible, and and the Church militant is visible and visible at its earthly head, and there will always be a trail of breadcrumbs, and you don't have to have a Ph.D., guys. In order to see and and figure out what's going on you it's it's absolutely true. You can be not just an unlettered lay nothing you could literally be <laughs> alliteration illiterate you could be an illiterate peasant, and all you have to do is look, look at Pope Benedict, look at what he's wearing, look at what he's calling himself, look at him giving my apostolic blessing etc, etc. And you say, wait, wait a minute, w- what's going on here? And you know what, you come to exactly the same conclusion that Dr. Matza comes to. And once again, we have this whole notion of consilience. When you're dealing with a true based premise, all roads lead to it and confirm it. It's not, you, you don't end up running into walls like Jesus is a liar, you know, everything makes sense. Oh, and the other wall that, uh, that people oftentimes run into when they're incorrect about things like this is that God is a jerk. If, if you hit a wall that says God is a jerk and he doesn't care about us, you need to rethink your base premise. God is not a jerk. God, the divine providence makes sure that all of this stuff is visible. And so you've got the, these two, the, the working together of the unlettered lay nothings pointing and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, he's wearing white. He's, he's still calling himself Holy Father Pope Benedict. What's going on here? And then you also have the Dr. Matzahs of the world pointing and saying, well, read Dr. Matz's position papers, you know, what I mean, it, it, it's, and it's all the same. That's the incredible thing. It's all the same.
0: It's not unlike finding the one true church, right? I mean, what what would make God a jerk if, is if he if had if you really had to be super smart, yeah, to find to find the truth. No, it's intentionally made easy that that you know God is infinite mercy. He he has to to, to lay things out in such a way that the most unlettered layperson can figure it out. And the same applies to this situation.
1: And and yet at the same time you've got Thomas, who who you know throws throws his oov in the in the fire and says all this work I've done it's all straw because it's so infinitely deep. So you, you've got right. both, you, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Thomas Aquinas saying it's 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 an it's an inf, it's an infinite data set. So you've got Thomas who can never ever be exhausted in in his brilliance. And you've got illiterate peasants all, all coming to the same place, all um, literally being members of exactly the same church. And everybody fits in, and there's a place for everybody. And uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's edifying. Every, every step of this journey, there is nothing about this. Not one iota of this whole anti-papacy situation that has ever been in any way discouraging despairing it's exactly the opposite this whole thing for me and mark i'm i'm sure you'll you'll say the same thing this this is edifying this is you just you just sit and look at god's goodness and his power and his ability to um to se- to set up events and and visibility while at the same time completely respecting every human being's free will. This is this is just this is a staggering staggering uh reality that speaks to God and his his infinitude and how powerful and enormously infinitely huge that he is. How how can you do that? How can you have how can you be respecting every single human being's free will and still have everything work out perfectly? You know, it's, um, only God could do that.
0: Yep. Cooperating with grace. It's, uh, cooperating with grace and realizing that, uh, he doesn't need much to work with folks. He's God. He's God. (laughs) (laughs) So, Professor, maybe we want to wrap up. We're about an hour and 10 in, wrap up on this last point of scenario number one uh, and move on to scenario two. The last point being, if I mangle it, you can uh, can override me here, but that there can be no doubt with the evidence that we've reviewed over the past hour and in other places that uh, there really is no room for doubt that Benedict intended to remain papal on some ontological plane, regardless of whether this is really
2: metaphysically possible. Exactly. So uh, my understanding of canon law, right? And, and you guys, your understanding of canon law is that unfortunately, because of substantial error that would invalidate his resignation and would mean that he is still Pope. He, he never stopped being Vicar of Christ. He never stopped being Bishop of Rome. Um, of course, that would, uh, as a consequence, invalidate the election of Jorge Bergoglio. Yay! Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, mean, you, I think you said unfortunately. I would say fortunately. Unfortunately, well, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? In, 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 a, in a perfect world, we wouldn't, want, we wouldn't want all this chaos, right? Um, and again, per, Professor Di Mattei in his article, talks about the danger of certain conservative Catholics of setting up an illegitimate Pope in his word, in his meaning Benedict against the legitimate Pope Francis uh, because of this Munis ministerium thing. But once you read everything that Benedict has said, again, (laughs) I defy anyone to, to, to argue against the fact that he was claiming to remain in some sense Pope, right? So that it adds up to substantial error. And if in scenario one, you cannot separate, Vicar of Christ from the Sea of Rome. And he claims that he still has a connection to the Sea of Rome. That would mean he has to claim that he still has a connection, even though he's never said this. He still has to claim, logically speaking, a connection to the Vicar of Christ. And that's metaphysically impossible. And therefore it's substantial error, right? Uh, you can't share the primacy that, that's been condemned in 1647, right? Um, now, now, we would like to put you know, St. Thomas Aquinas does say that, um, and I'm paraphrasing, that when a person is acting in a way that is scandalous or, uh, you know, cuckoo or whatever, right, we are supposed to try to avoid rash judgment if we can, right, and put the most charitable spin on it that we can, right? Um, and that leads us to uh, scenario number two. Now, scenario number two would sort of take the charitable approach and say, no, he he's not running around uh, making a fool of himself, giving apostolic blessings, and and all this other stuff. Um, he let's let's all right. Let's just jump into scenario number two. Scenario number two, uh, I call the mirror, and I say, let us suppose that Benedict intended to separate the vicarship of Christ from the Episcopacy of Rome, and furthermore, let us argue that it is ontologically possible to do so. What would follow from that logically, right? Um, In this case, Benedict would be what he professes to be, right? The Pope or the Bishop Emeritus of Rome. Having severed Vicar of Christ from the Episcopacy of Rome, there would no longer be any metaphysical impediment to a Pope slash Bishop Emeritus of Rome am i again if you can find a flaw in my logic please let me know um, no, so that so
0: that goes back that that line of reasoning goes back to the fact that only one man can hold the vicarship so if he intended to separate the vicarship and that is possible and again that's a minority opinion that it is possible but we're, this is the scenario we're laboring under now scenario number 2 then having severed the vicar of christ from the episcopacy there would no longer be any metaphysical impediment. Right on.
2: Yeah, to being the Bishop Emeritus of Rome. Right. More, But as you say, more importantly, Benedict would still be Vicar of Christ.
0: Benedict and only
2: Benedict. Exactly. Now, lastly, uh, Francis would be the one duly elected Pope Bishop of Rome. In fact, Mattei provides us with Ganswine's honest affirmation of such Last year, quote, you know, you know, basically he got in a lot of hot water, right? Because of his 2016 speech at the Greg, and he, he sort of tried to walk back what he, what he said because he wanted to calm down the firestorm, right? So he's, he's quoted in a life, I believe it's a site news article from early 2019. And he's quoted as saying when he was pressed, right? There is only one Pope legitimately elected and it is Francis. And, um, Mattei brings this up in his article as proof that you see, even Ganswine has come back to his senses, <laughs> right? And, uh, we shouldn't go down this road. But with all the logic that we've just been through, that's a perfectly honest statement. In, in a scenario number two, right? It, um, if the Vic, if Benedict, when he was, had the plenitude of power, separated Vicar of Christ from the episcopacy of Rome, it would mean that there's no longer an impediment to him being a bishop emeritus or a pope emeritus of the diocese of Rome, uh, but it means that he's also vicar, he, he is the vicar of Christ, he's also the bishop emeritus of Rome, and the only current bishop of Rome would be Francis, so there's nothing wrong with Ganswine's statement when he says there's only one pope legitimately elected and it's Francis, you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Just, re- just remembering that that word Pope is a more nuanced word than any of us, as we, as we said before, it's a more nuanced word than any of us kind of realize up until now. Yeah.
2: Again, I'm only using it in the sense that Benedict used it. And, and when he used it with Seawold, you know, Seawold says, well, does that apply to the Pope? And Benedict said, well, I don't see why this wouldn't apply to the Bishop of Rome. So, he, yeah, I'm using it in the sense of Bishop of Rome. So the only current Bishop of Rome in scenario number two would be Francis. Um, and and so basically um, he would, Francis would never have been Vicar of Christ because Benedict would have retained it even while he jettisoned his active governance of the See of Rome, which again, he bequeathed to its new Bishop. And then in my article, I asked the question, is it so preposterous, right? To hypothesize that Francis has only the episcopacy of Rome, but lacks the vicar of Christ. His his first speech from the balcony, mm-hmm. right? Usually the pope goes out on the balcony, and not, on, not only when he's elected, but on the on January first, he gives his, his blessing, right? The urbi et the urbi et urbi, right? His his address to the city and his address to the world. Um, but in his first first speech from the balcony. He only talks about his role as shepherd of the Orbi, not the Orbi. And if you guys want, it's a short, a short quote. I can read the actual words of uh, Francis.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. It has yes. to be, has to be
2: read into the record. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have a footnote. I'll go to the footnote. I've got it in front words. of me right here. If you don't have it. Uh, 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 I think I got it right. He says, um, you all know that the, this is, this is fascinating. You really all is. know that the duty of the conclave was to give a bishop to Rome. (laughs) Now, in a previous podcast, we had a a little mini discussion about the last sentences of Benedict's declaratio about the conclave, about those whose competency it is and the Mm -hmm. word supreme. I don't, I don't think we necessarily need to revisit that now, but um, that's something we can, people can go back and listen to. But anyway, Uh, so in light of that, it's very interesting that he, the first words out of Francis's mouth are you, after that he prayed, you all know that the duty of the conclave was to give the bishop to Rome. Uh, it seems that my brother cardinals have come almost to the ends of the earth to get him, but here we are. I thank you for the welcome that has come from the diocesan community of Rome. Mm. Diocesan community. (laughs) (laughs) And it gets better.
0: It does get better. better.
2: (laughs) And now, let us begin this journey, the bishop and people, this journey of the Church of Rome. My hope is that this journey of the church that we begin today, together with the help of my cardinal vicar, will be fruitful for the evangelization of this beautiful city. (laughs) The Cardinal Vicar? Now, I don't know if most Catholics know this, but the Pope is the Bishop of Rome, and to help him administer his diocese, he's got the Cardinal Vicar. And and the reason why the Pope norm, you know, gives a lot of responsibility to the Cardinal Vicar is because normally, under the last 2,000 years, <laughs> the Pope is pretty much preoccupied with, with the Church Universal yes. and, and can't give his full attention to the individual churches in the Diocese of Rome, so he's got the Cardinal Vicar to help him. Can you believe that a newly elected vicar of Christ is saying this? And by the way, he doesn't use the word vicar of Christ. He doesn't use the word pope. And he's out there on the, on, on the balcony without his mazzetta and without his stole. Naked. Naked,
1: as it were. Liturgically naked. Yes, indeed. Yep.
0: Amazing. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. yep. You can't, yep. You can't make this stuff up. Now, now in, somebody will bring this up because they're going to look up the quote. He does have kind of a throwaway line where he talks about the journey of the Church of Rome, which presides over all the other churches in love. And that's a phrase from um, St. Ignatius, the Bishop of Antioch in the first century. Um, But even the Orthodox Church in Russia, the Orthodox Church in Greece and Turkey, they would acknowledge that, too. Yeah, the Church of Rome presides in love over all the other churches, but that's not the same thing as the primacy. Okay. The way the Catholic church understands it, especially from Vatican one. So, um, yeah. So in the article, I, um, I, I, I didn't mean for this to sound snarky exactly, but I kind of say, you know, um, perhaps it's not without typological significance after all that Bergoglio possesses only one lung and not the usual <laughs> pair.
1: Indeed. Well said. <laughs> If if he's, you know,
2: he's just Bishop of of Rome and not actually, actually Vicar of Christ. Uh, So in conclusion, this author can see no other way for a Pope Emeritus as his holiness, Pope Benedict XVI has thus far defined, lived it, um, to exist in harmony with Orthodox Catholic teaching without the prior separation of Vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome, leaving in its wake, two distinct elements held by two different men. Again, this is scenario number two. Scenario number two is trying to take the most charitable uh, version of this, uh, that uh, that this is something that Benedict got maybe divine assistance with and through prayer and thought this out and, and deliberately separated the Vicar of Christ from the Bishop of Rome uh, so that he's not in substantial error, but he's actually kind of playing 4D chess here. Um, So, um, now, critics will cry, you know, this is far-fetched speculation, this is conspiracy theory, but I, those are, you know, name calling is the last resort of those, you know, without arguments. Uh, And so I I end the piece by bringing up um, the message of Fatima. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's not forget here that the children of Fatima, right, the Sister Lucia says, we saw something similar in the third secret, right? Something similar, to how people appear in a mirror when they pass in front of it a bishop dressed in white we had the impression that it was the holy father um and i, I have to give credit where credit is due it was father z yeah. father Julesdorf, who brought this up uh here's the funny thing about mirrors <laughs> they produce two where formerly there was one
1: well and i think a point that father z that's that's you know, even strengthens that, is that when you're standing in front of the mirror, yes, there are two, quote-unquote, two. One is real, and the other one has no substance. What, what substance does an image in a mirror have? Like, we're, we're getting into, like, literal physics now. It doesn't have any substance. There's no substance there. There's two, but only one has substance.
0: It's also true that the image... Is the inverse.
1: Yes, yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> so it's the the one thing that struck me when Father Zed wrote about this, and Anne, I think you posted about it too. Um, that the, I had never, th- I had read this, a, a, you know, a thousand times. I'm, I'm a fatima junkie, but I'd never thought about it in the third person. So this is Lucy observing a situation, not not someone themselves passing in front of a mirror but a third person watching something happen and how does the third person see this and it's something real and then a reflection that's that's there but not really there and what is there is the inverse it's of reality the inverse
1: yep anti even you could use the prefix anti yes
0: <laughs> indeed diabolical uh so professor do you want to do we still have the professor with us yes i (laughs) (laughs) do you want to go ahead and and conclude there with fatima and the
2: third secret sure exactly uh you know what you know so many critics have criticized you know this hypothesis or the. that, that anybody might come to the conclusion that benedict is still pope and they say oh this endless speculation blah 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 conspiracy theory look let's just cut through the bs here okay if the vatican would come out and reveal the third secret like they were supposed to do 60 years ago okay we wouldn't be having this conversation and there wouldn't be these hypotheses floating around okay we would know what's going on with the papacy. We would know what's going on with the church because Our Lady herself would provide just the answers which we devout lay persons informed by tradition are seeking right now in the face of unprecedented apostasy, okay? So people who don't like Anne Barnhart, people who don't like Dr. Mazza, Mark Darkey, um, you know what? Tell, get the, Get the Vatican to release the third secret and then you won't have to listen to us anymore. Yes, and, and
1: then you can talk about how the the mother of God doesn't know what she's talking about, isn't qualified, doesn't have a canon law degree, um, is a crackpot conspiracy theorist. I mean, I, I'm convinced that some of these people are so um, intransigent and so deeply mired and have painted themselves into a corner. I, I can tell you right now that if Cardinal Burke, for example, came out and started talking about the matzo thesis and all of this, they, w- they would character assassinate him. There are people that if the third secret of Fatima came out and the Blessed Mother confirmed all of this in in language, in her extraordinarily concise way. Obviously, um, it's not going to be it's not going to be a ten thousand pa- a ten thousand word um, position paper. It's going to be the way the blessed mother communicates in just a few sentences. But what? But if it confirmed all this, I think there are people that would be going after her at this point. They're so mired in grudges, hang ups, and that that prideful inability to say. Wait a minute. Maybe I've been wrong about this. You know, I said I've been wrong in the summer of two thousand sixteen um, about who the pope is. Mark came to it in two thousand seventeen. Doctor Matza, when did you when did you officially um, sit down and say, "Well, look, I, th- I think Benedict's the pope"? Do you, Do you know roughly what the time frame was?
2: Yeah, I think it was back in January of this year when I was reading his answers to Seawold. And when Seawold said, well, you know, is, is getting old and being ill reason enough to step down from the chair? And he says, oh, no, that would be, a, that'd be an accusation. That would be an accusation. That would be a, misunder- a functional misunderstanding. <laughs> the office stays in your being. <laughs> That's when I, yeah, the scales dropped. And I said, wow, something's going on here. Um, so
1: if we may and, ask, if we may yeah. ask before January of this year, if someone had asked you, um, who's the Pope and you, you would say Francis, and then someone would say, why do you believe that? What, what was your rationale before January of this year? What would you have said? Cause you're a smart guy and there's lots of people out there listening who need to hear that he, there are extremely intelligent people who have, have been, uh, in uh, wrong and have changed their minds, which is what an intelligent person does. What was your rationale before this year?
2: Well, I'll I'll tell you a funny story real quick here. And and by the way, uh, you you always refer to yourself as an unlettered lay nothing and you too, Mark. But I I have to inform you that uh, having those letters behind your name, PhD, means that unlike you guys, I can reach the heights of stupidity. (laughs) (laughs) so here's a funny story so back in march of i guess it was march 13th right 2013 uh we're we're watching the television we're waiting for the 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 new pope to come out and i got this bright idea that i was going to get a domain name and create a website based on the new pope and so uh it was actually annoying because when ewtn did the transmission uh for some reason, Raymond Arroyo was going on and on and on. And I, we, I couldn't get the name of the actual Pope. I was waiting for the name to come out. Um, and I, I very quickly sw- uh, got online and I, 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 God help me. I swept up the name, the domain name, Pope Oh my gosh. <laughs> <'Cause>,
1: <laughs> and we'll never let you live it down either. <laughs> I know. No, no,
2: I shouldn't have, I should never have said that, but now it's part of the public record, yeah. but yeah. Uh, Obviously, I never used that website. But anyway, um, but I like like some people. I got the creepiest feeling when he stepped out on the balcony, and it I it wasn't conscious. I, I wasn't expecting anything bad, but he he's kind of stood stood there at attention, you know, staring out at people, and I just got the creepiest feeling in the world. But um, so uh, but everyone you know, but like sort every-
0: of everyone sort of relates that almost everyone I think sort of relates that same thing. And I dismissed it for, I mean, I sensed almost right away that something was wrong literally a couple months into it, but I always dismissed that visual as just bad lighting or something else until it came to light, so to speak that, well, no, actually every Orthodox Catholic
2: felt that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And so, so you ask, you know, um, what was I thinking before, you know, 2020? And, and my answer is like Archbishop, if I could, you know, <clears throat> include myself in his esteemed company, it's like Archbishop Vigano. Uh, did you read on Twitter yesterday that um, Bishop, is is Bishop Tobin um, uh, basically uh, attacked. Yeah. Listen to this. This is from yes, Bishop the, Thomas the, Tobin. Thomas Tobin, the good Tobin. Good
1: Tobin. Yeah. yeah. The yeah.
2: good Tobin. Yeah. He actually uh, attacks, so to speak, Archbishop Vigano. And says, quote, if Vatican II was so harmful, why did it take why did it take Vigano fifty five years plus to, to say so? He exercised his priestly and episcopal ministry and crafted a rather prominent ecclesiastical career in the Vatican II church without complaint. And the answer is, with all due respect to your Excellency, go and read what Archbishop Vigano says that like everybody else, I went along through obedience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, thinking that the leaders of the church know what they're doing, but at some point, empirical reality caught up with him. Yes, uh, you know, and and all the church closings, all the sex scandals, uh, the, the gay lavender mafia. Uh, it just anyway. Um, but so people can go and read what Bishop B, Archbishop Vigano actually says there. So yeah, I mean, at at some point, the, the data set catches up with you, and then the grace of God. You know, actual grace hits your brain, and then you begin to say, "Gee, we got to get to the bottom of this." In fact, I'll, I'll add another thing here, and that is that, you know, as a scholar, I, I read a lot of things, and one of the things I read was an interview in Catholic World Report by uh, Monsignor Nicolo uh who's used to work at the in the Congregation for the Saints, I believe, mm-hmm. for the Causes of Saints, and uh, is is I think he's a personal friend of of Benedict. And in this, and this interview was from. uh, I didn't read it then, but it's from February of 2013, after the uh, or March of 2013, after the, right after Benedict uh, stepped aside, so to speak. And in that um, in that article, uh, he says some very interesting things. Um, And but the most interesting thing he says here is that. um, Let me see if I can find it. Um, He Benedict, he says, made as we may say. One step back. He took a step back, a step back made for the church to make two steps forward. <laughs> now, I don't know if people are familiar with this, but this is what the, the Bolsheviks do. They they take one step back in order that they might take two steps forward. Um, so he, he, my initial reading of this is that there's more going on to Benedict's renunciation, quote unquote, than meets the eye here, right? And actually it's Father Books. Who said that we need to investigate the um, the resignation
1: yeah he was he was one of the first voices that came out publicly and said the this this resignation and emeritus this this ain't right he was one of the earliest voices and he's he's very well respected um, he's just a Monsignor but he's also a liturgist and um, yeah he's he's been around everybody knows him and he's very very well respected.
0: He was the first prelate to come out. There were people within hours of the declaratio coming out in terms of Latinus and Canonus saying the same thing.
1: Yes, yes.
2: Exactly. Um,
0: So we're about to wrap. I just wanted to put in another word for – or regarding Fatima, I would say. The Holy Mother of God deigned that this secret would be revealed no later than 1960. So the the faithful have been waiting for 60 years for something directly requested by the Mother of God to be revealed that she, in fact, revealed, and that we've had every pope since then, including Benedict, not do that. And in fact, Benedict was instrumental in releasing whatever it was that they released 20 years ago, uh, which was certainly not the complete third secret. And so he executed whatever he did in 2013 with the full knowledge of what that is. And to think that it's not related is far-fetched to me. I don't know what you guys think.
2: And that's how I end my piece. I say, um, Benedict, who has read the Third Secret, has said, see, here's the thing. So uh, if the Vatican will not release the full text of the Third Secret, we may have another way of, of proving what's what with the papacy because Benedict tells Seewald in this latest interview in the German that he has, in fact, written a spiritual Last Testament. And so I end my article by saying, uh, I hope that his holiness will shine the light of faith's clarity and dispel the shadows of ambiguity. And that's a quote from Benedict, because back in 1984, uh, in the Ratzinger Report, uh, published by Ignatius Press in 85, um, the interview with Vittorio Mitsuri, uh, Benedict talks about the third secret, and then he also talks about how ambiguity is the hallmark of the devil. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but we know that Genesis 3.15, that the woman will crush his head, uh, and I end my piece by, by ch- quoting the last book of the Bible, Book of Revelation, the last verse, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. And, Amen. Yep. And, you know, today is the is, uh, Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and there is a Fatima connection with that. When Our Lady appeared at the Miracle of the Sun on October thirteenth, 1917, she actually appeared uh, momentarily as Our Lady of Mount Carmel with holding the child Jesus and having the, the brown scapular. Oh, I didn't and, know uh, that. Wow. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, she, she I think, um, well, you know, coming from Brooklyn, uh, I've actually got a, uh, a quick thing to relate here. Every uh, July 16th on the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, the, 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 all the Italian guys get to get, get together and they carry out this wonderful statue of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and it's decked out with flowers and things. And the guys carry it on their shoulder. Are you familiar with that? It's called a gelia. Uh, it, it weighs like a ton. Oh, and then yeah. besides that, they've got a band like musicians. Right. And then, then it's it's all on this thing. And then it's carried in procession by these guys on their shoulders.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of those um, processions in Italy. That's a very popular thing. There's one in, what's the city northwest of Rome? Viterbo. There's a huge one for the Feast of St. Rose of Viterbo that's very famous. There's another one in the south. There, There are several of them where all the men of a city get together and carry some enormous tower float thing that weighs tons tons and tons and tons and you know it's kind of it's a it's a quasi-penitential thing and it's it's also super cool and you know it when they have those those things in italy it's a huge it's a massive party i mean the entire city completely shuts down and they go and they do this party while the men of the city carry the enormous float around it's it's pretty cool
2: so we, we, you know, so we have to be very. We're very hopeful and we're very positive that our Lord and our Lady are going to get us through this, and then her, in the end, her immaculate heart is going to triumph.
1: No doubt, zero doubt, Amen. zero doubt. Yep. All right.
0: All right. So we'll go for a wrap. Thank you very much, Dr. Matza. I'm sure there will be more of these feedback. Uh, the email address for the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, podcast at barnhart.biz. <laughs> Masses for Anne's benefactors, at least one mass every day, plus one requiem every week for everyone who died in the previous week. Please pray for these priests and all priests now more than ever. The satanic forces are attacking. It goes without saying. Your prayers to God for this intention can help hold back that tide. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you got some value out of this or previous podcast and would like to return some value, please visit supernerd.com slash donate for more information. Super Nerd, as it was mentioned at the top. Hold did up, have that, some unique... that
1: domain is supernerdmedia.com, isn't it? Uh,
0: that's what's in front of me if I didn't say that. You didn't. <laughs> you just said
1: supernerd.com. It's supernerdmedia.com.
0: Supernerdmedia.com slash donate. Yes, indeed. He did have some unique challenges. It, uh, it took several hours to get this essay put up online, just uh, challenges between WordPress and Word and all sorts of things. So thank you for that. Um, He also keeps Anne's Anne's sight going against uh, all cyber threats, foreign and domestic. And Anne, do you have anything else or do you want the uh, Matthew 1720 collect?
1: Uh, Let's go to the collect.
0: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Almighty God, the sovereign of all things, who gave the keys of the kingdom to your servant Peter and his validly elected, elected successors, Grant, we beseech thee, that your church here on earth be quickly cleansed of the modernist infiltration, all immoral clerics, and all other corruption, that anti-Pope Jorge Maria Borgoglio's invalid election be publicly recognized and completely nullified before the death of your servant, Pope Benedict XVI, that Borgoglio repent, return to the one holy Catholic faith, and that in the fullness of your time, die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision." All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's it, folks. Until next time, I'm Mark. Stay frosty, my friends.
1: And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless.